Welcome to The Long Run. This is a podcast for biotech adventurers. I'm your host, Luke Timmerman. Today's guest is Luhan Yang. Luhan is the founder and CEO of Hangzhou, China-based Chihan Biotech. Chihan is using genome editing technology to engineer pigs with organs that can be safely transplanted into humans. This is what scientists call xenotransplantation. The concept has been around for a long time, but new CRISPR-based gene editing technologies make it more feasible to overcome some of the classic challenges, including the likelihood that the human immune system will reject a transplant from a pig. If this turns out to be feasible at scale, still quite a big if, then Chihan could be in position to tackle the shortage of available organs for transplant. Besides xenotransplantation, Chihan is also seeking to leverage its gene editing capabilities to engineer off-the-shelf allogeneic cell therapies that won't be rejected by the human immune system. Luhan is a native of China and one of the leaders in CRISPR gene editing. She made her name in George Church's lab at Harvard and was the first author on a landmark paper in science in 2013 that was the first demonstration that CRISPR could make precise gene edits in mammalian cells. She went on to co-found Cambridge, Massachusetts-based eGenesis to advance the xenotransplantation application of CRISPR before leaving the U.S. to take the helm of Chihan in China. Luhan is a bright young scientific entrepreneur in the hunt for the first big medical applications of a groundbreaking technology. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Now, before we dive in, the Long Run Podcast attracts a devoted audience of scientific entrepreneurs and investors every other week. Would your company like to get your name out in front of this high-powered crowd of decision makers? Talk to me about advertising opportunities which consists of a chance to slice in a 30-second ad into this show at the beginning and the mid-show break. Luke at TimmermanReport.com And if you like listening to The Long Run, you'll love reading Timmerman Report. This is where you'll get my in-depth coverage of the most interesting startups in biotech, along with thought-provoking commentary from a diverse cast of contributing writers that I recruit and edit. As Oleg Nodelman, the founder and managing director of EcoR1 Capital says, Timmerman Report is essential reading at EcoR1 Capital. Luke's thoughts and insights not only report on the biotech sector, but help shape it, end quote. So what are you waiting for? Go get your subscription to Timmerman Report for $169 a year as an individual or sign up your company for a group discount. See TimmermanReport.com for details. Please join me and Luhan Yang on the long run. Luhan Yang, welcome to the long run. Thank you for having me, Luke. So, Luhan, um, when we first spoke, I don't know if you remember this, I think this was 2017, uh, you had a phrase, and I think that this is at your first company, eGenesis, where you said your goal was that you envision a world where there's no organ shortage. And I thought, wow, that's um, a pretty bold goal that really got my attention. How did you settle on that as the the main drive of your work uh, with CRISPR as the tool? Uh, that's an interesting question. So, uh, so I'll 
uh, there are two folds of the question. One is how we are doing in achieving the goal. And the second one is how, how I started. <laughs> so um, for, for the first one, we are very excited to, uh, to share with the community our progress that uh, the PIC 3.0 has been born and they are pretty happy, healthy. And uh, as a first prototype of clinical use of xenotransplantation, uh, which I believe we'll discuss later, and we have uh, some ongoing uh, monkey work to test the organ function and safety, uh, which uh, strengthens our confidence that we are getting there. And, um, and in regard how I started, so when I was a graduate student in church lab, uh, we, we, we published one of the first CRISPR paper. After that, many scientists from the world came to us uh, to, to seek collaboration. And, um, and I was approached by a few surgeons in Massachusetts hospital who introduced us the concept of xenotransplantation. It, uh, like uh, the use of pig organ for human transplant Initially, I was quite intrigued by the idea, uh, but the more I knew about it, the more I feel excited. So I, I got to know that the field had tried very hard in the early 90s to... Well, Luhan, why don't we come back to this later? And, and maybe we can start from uh, the beginning for you. Um, can you tell me just a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you're born and raised in China? Yeah, so um, I, I uh, right now I'm in Hangzhou, China. So I was born in southwest China, the Sichuan province, known for its spicy food and panda uh, sanctuary. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, did did you have any siblings? Unfortunately, um, I'm the only child in my family. Um, as many of my uh, peers in my generation. Sure, sure. So um, what did your parents do for a living? Oh, my, my, my dad uh, was a manager at the same company where my mom was an accountant. So that's how they met. Um, right now, both of them are retired. Okay, okay. And uh, so how did you first really get interested in science? Um. My formal education in biology started in high school where I was lucky enough to participate in the International Biology Olympia competition. And uh, that gave me the initial training in science and basic biology as a high school student. Where was this uh, International Olympiad held? It's in Australia. <laughs> oh, so you got to travel to, uh, was that your first time uh, leaving China? Uh, I, I went to Thailand for, for, for fun before, but uh, it was eye-opening. It's my first time to take a long flight and uh, went together with other students to, to represent Chinese team uh, to participate in an international competition. Really? So what was your project that you, you worked on? There, there were two parts. One were writing, uh, just gave you some puzzle, then you have to solve it. The second part were experiment and uh, from identify a plant uh, to dissect an insect or give you a sample of a land, 
then uh, you need to function as a detective to to uh, interpret the uh, the 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 compensation of the land and understand the evolution of the land. So um, I, I don't remember. So it's very comprehensive. So what was it that was exciting about that project? D- did that kind of help propel you on your path to to become a scientist? I think that that was an amazing experience for me. One is as a high school student, I was like drinking from the hose that uh, yeah. I had to uh, study all the college and even graduate school courses uh, in biology. That gave me very solid foundation um, about the framework of the biology. So um, I, I still remember vividly in one genetics class, uh, we, we were reading the story about Barbara uh, McClintock, who wrote the discovery of uh, jumping gene. So by studying corn, so she discovered that gene could change position within the genome. Um, and right now we know it's like transposon. So reading her story was like reading a detective novel to me. So it also instilled in me how uh, delicate and rigor you need to have to draw any uh, definitive scientific conclusion. So after the whole training of Olympia, I started to become very intrigued about science. Well, that's really cool that Barbara McClintock was an inspiration to you as she was to so many, um, so many other women scientists and, and scientists altogether. Um, and I, I suppose going to an international Olympiad, you probably encountered a lot of other smart kids from other parts of the world, didn't you? It was eye-opening. So it was my first opportunity to get exposed to the Western world and um, and start to know my peers from all around the world. Okay, so you um, you decide that biology um, is pretty interesting. Uh, now, I mean, what years was this? Um, did, did you get? Uh, did you go to to college? I went to uh, Peking University in two thousand and four. Okay, so this would have been you know after the human genome project. That was. I mean, this is the age of genomics. Uh, biology clearly is very exciting. Did you did you have that sense? Uh, did the people around you uh, at Peking University, um, you know, have that that kind of enthusiasm that there was just a lot of possibility here? Um, yeah, you are right. So we launched the Human Genome Project 2003, but I I, I think probably there was a delay um, in the enthusiasm in China. But I, I was lucky enough to work with Dr. Jin Dong Zhao. So she, he, he was a very brilliant scientist in studying uh, cyanobacteria. And, um, and, um, and working with him, let me know, like doing science is very fun. Um, and also the more I learned from the lab, the more question I had. So I, I knew that after graduation, I, I need to pursue my study further. I got more exposure about uh, genomics um, and gene editing after I uh, went to Harvard and uh, worked with George. Okay, so how did you end up going to the United States to Harvard University? Actually, uh, 80% of uh, 
of my classmate went to U.S. for further education um, in my in my department for graduate school. For graduate school, it was a very natural choice for us. Okay, so you looked to America. Why? Like uh, I didn't I didn't think that much uh, to be honest as a as a college student, uh, and but in retrospective, I I, I am very grateful for my education experience in the U.S. Uh, it was a very open environment, vibrant environment, uh, probably the best place to do science and to get the scientific training. Is that really what you were thinking that this, I mean, that this was the place, Harvard University, uh, to, 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 to learn the most, to, to, uh, to push the frontiers? It's a privilege to get admitted into Harvard. Uh, and there are many other places I also visited. Uh, so like as a, as a Chinese student, uh, doing the interview in the US was like being a child in a candy store. So there are so many places to choose. Um, so it was not an easy choice, but uh, my, my parents knew Harvard name then I, uh, I, I, I think that also helped me to make the decision. Okay. Okay. So you arrive at the church lab. Uh, what were the first few things that you got to work on there? So um, I started to work in church lab in 2009. And um, as a graduate student, we had to choose a subject. So I started my own project working on zinc finger deaminase. Uh, and we published one of the first patents showing we can modify the human genome in a programmable way without cutting the genome using uh, the uh, gene editor. Um, and, um, and later on, I, I was fortunate to have worked with some important collaborators to uh, developing new gene editing tools. And um, so, uh, I partner with Pershamali, who is now an associate professor at uh, University of California, San Diego. Uh, by that time, was a postdoc in Church Lab, and we were inspired by the 2012 publication by Jennifer Duna's lab, in which they show that CRISPR-Cas can do programmable DNA cutting in a testing tube. So we quickly adopted the system for our own platform, which resulted in uh, one of the first publications showing CRISPR could be used as a tool for gene modification. It was a very exciting moment. Uh, obviously, that was a historic paper. You know, Jennifer Doudna, Emmanuel Charpentier recently received the Nobel Prize for this work. Um, and it sounds like one of these classic things. I mean, you're in the, in the right place at the right time. I mean, you, as you say, you had been working on zinc finger nucleases and, and talons as well for uh, some of the earlier versions of of gene editing? Exactly. It was very cumbersome before CRISPR to engineer any programmable tool. So CRISPR was quite enabling. So you read this paper uh, and then thought, okay, what, what can you do now? What's next? Exactly. So in, in, um, in Jennifer's paper, the show in a very beautiful and elegant way that uh, the, the protein RNA complex could do cut um, in about chemistry reaction. 
um, and um, and naturally we we wonder whether we can uh, humanize the codon of the system and express the Cas and RNA in mammalian cell, uh, which can effect caught in the genome, the trigger genomic engineering. So that's how it started. And this was, I mean, this all happened very quickly. I mean, I don't want to rehash all this history, right? But this was fall of 2012. I think you're the first author on that paper, uh, one of one of many that came out of the church lab in 2013, I think, uh, that showed you, you could, in fact, use CRISPR-Cas9 to edit efficiently in mammalian cells. Exactly. I mean, now, like, the, the world, I mean, I don't know, did, was the world starting to pay attention, like, to, to you and your lab, um, or, or did this take a while before, you know, uh, venture capitalists and business people and science journalists and everybody starts uh, paying attention? It definitely attract a lot of attention. Um, and But when we decided to use a tool to do xenotransplantation, uh, people thought it was intriguing. But uh, it took us a lot of trial to get the first check from the VC because uh, the industry was heavily burned before um, and um, it's still unproven. Well, let's get there in a second. But this next choice of project is really interesting and important because this is um, a Clearly an enabling technology, you can do lots of things with it, um, cell therapy, gene therapy, all, uh, agriculture, lots and lots of applications uh, across species. Uh, why uh, xenotransplantation? And, and maybe for those not familiar, could you like define that for folks? Yeah, sure. So xenotransplantation is a term to describe uh, the use of animal organ for a human transplant and in particular, in our case, we use pig as a react bioreactor to mature a human transplantable organ. Um, initially, I was intrigued because of the intellectual curiosity. Uh, I got to learn from the surgeons that it was attempted before, but there were two fundamental hurdles to prevent its clinical application. One, um, as you can imagine, it's a rejection. And people were under assumption that by getting rid of the largest antigen of uh, pig and by using immune suppressant, the, the, the compatibility can be reached. But we underestimate how many edits we need to do to, um, to achieve the compatibility. And the second concern was the uh, the theoretical concern of zoonosis. So every pig carry endogenous retroviruses in their genome. And um, people worry that it will become another pandemic like HIV. Okay. Okay. So there's a number of questions here. This idea that you can uh, grow animals with effectively human organs or you or organs like hearts, livers, kidneys, etc., that could be transplanted into humans and not rejected by the human's immune system. Um, uh, why, uh, why start with pigs? What, what is it about pigs that makes them a good species for this kind of activity? 
so so first why 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 not monkey who are closer to human uh and why pig versus other large animals so i think pig was used because uh it shares similar size and physiology with human being and uh the reason why monkey was not allowed part of it is because of the ethical concern another reason was uh hiv was passed from uh non-human primate to 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 human so there was a a concern of zoonosis issue so in the early 90s there was a ban to use non-human primate as cell and organ resources right right and there was this issue with the what, what we now call uh, pervs the porcine endogenous retroviruses which uh as I understand it, are just they're kind of carryovers from evolution, the you know, accumulated retroviruses that are there in the genomes uh, of pigs and and humans too, and and you don't want those to transfer. You don't want pig viruses ending up getting transplanted along with the organ that you really want transplanted, right? Exactly. So then the question becomes how to edit those out. <laughs> Can you edit out those retroviruses? And lo and behold, that seems to be something that you might be able to do with CRISPR-Cas9. Exactly. So we, we, we actually didn't know whether we can do so. So CRISPR was like, uh, help us achieve a zero to one transition from the point where we couldn't modify the genome to the point that cutting a gene is quite straightforward. But there are so many copies of PERV in the pig genome. Um, and in particular, in the cell line we, we, we work with, there were 62 copies. So we didn't know whether we can do so uh, to achieve such a high efficiency without killing the cell. But that's what you were able to show, that you could cut out those 62 distinct uh, porcine endogenous retroviruses and therefore have um, a, uh, a pig cell that, that was free of them, that, that could be theoretically the basis for uh, immune-compatible um, organs. Exactly, but that only solves one part of the puzzle. Getting rid of the virus is to address the safety concern of viral transmission, but the immune compatibility is another uh, sort of problem, if not bigger problem. It's broader, yeah. But this is a, an important test case. Was that really the the paper that you know got people saying, okay, maybe maybe you can actually do this now um, for real in in a in a company? It attracted a lot of attentions, but I I had to say I'm very grateful for the investors uh, of Genesis and Xihan, uh, like who has a faith in us. So it lead the leap of faith. If you like listening to the Long Run Podcast, you'll love reading Timmerman Report. This is where you'll gain a deep contextual understanding of biotech from my writing and get ahead of the curve. It's a bargain at $169 a year for an individual to subscribe. A small group of five readers can get a 10% discount, and a medium-sized group of 15 readers can get a 20% discount. As Kevin Judice, the CEO of South San Francisco-based Dice Molecules, puts it, I enjoy the sharp writing and no-bullshit tone in Timmerman Report. 
this is journalism worth paying for, end quote. So what are you waiting for? Go to TimmermanReport.com and get your subscription today. By now, you're, you're pretty far along in your graduate studies and you've got a couple, you know, some major, major papers uh, and, y- you know, you could do a, a few different things, right? I suppose you could have had a career in academia. You chose to go to industry. Um, how did you think about that choice? It was not an easy choice. So um, I, I am and I'm still very passionate about doing science and I want to stay at the front line of science and push the envelope of technology limitation. Um, I think one is the opportunity present itself. And also right now I, I've realized that um, doing science in the startup can be as exciting as doing science in the lab. Um, I, I got to work with people from diverse background and more importantly, I'm very excited about our potential to deliver medicine to the patient one day, which could have direct impact in the society. And I know you're close with uh, George Church, your former advisor, um, and he has you know, many, many companies that he's been involved with over the years. W- what did he have to say about this? The career choice of student? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you thought about which path to go down? George is very nurturing and very supportive. So, uh, and uh, I, I think, and he's also very liberal. So if you talk with him, he would be proud to share with you that uh, his students are uh, pursuing what they like and uh, they are spreading everywhere in the industry and academia. So George does not have an opinion on individual person and uh, but he tried to listen and try to provide support once you decide your direction and you thought this was intellectually interesting as you say and this was a good way to to follow through on those interests starting a company uh first one being eGenesis that was my initial motivation because i feel the beauty of CRISPR compared with prior CRISPR tool was its capability to do multiplexable gene editing, uh, which can be exercised in xenotransplantation. But the point when I truly get committed was uh, one time I went to an international conference um, and um, I saw a Chinese scientist hanging a poster uh, at the corner of the conference and I went to talk with him saying like the poster session is inside, why are you here? Um, and um, he told me that uh, he, he, he was a very uh, famous uh, lung surgeon in China. So he told me that um, as a physician, he's trying his best to save the patient. But there was some uh, practice in China uh, organ traffic that uh, that the community doesn't want to see the data. Uh, I started to realize that organ shortage is not only a medical problem global-wide. It's a, it's a social problem. And it's a privilege for me to have the tool, to have the team, and to have the resources uh, to translate cutting-edge science into organ therapy to the patient who are waiting. So uh, that was my pivotal moment to get committed. So it's both interesting and important. 
if you can solve this, it's really going to help a lot of people um, in, in many parts of the world. Um, okay, so um, you you mentioned there there's a bigger set of problems here to get to that goal of immune compatibility. Uh, and you worked on this at that first company, eGenesis, for a while. And, and you had this uh, that you're working toward what you call PIG 2.0. <laughs> uh, what was PIG 2.0? 1.0, which is perf knockout to address the viral transmission issue. PIG 2.0 is the PIG with a comprehensive modification to enhance the immune compatibility. And we also have 3.0, which is a combination of both. Okay, but 2.0 specifically brought in those uh, some mechanisms for dampening an immune reaction against the uh, the transplant. Is that right? Exactly. Now, what did that work entail? So we first need to understand what triggered the rejection and uh, what's the molecular mechanism of that and how can we address that by gene editing. So if you if we put a pig organ in non-human primate as a model, it will be rejected in two to three minutes. Uh, the first batch of reaction is a uh, hyperacute rejection mediated by preformed antibody. Uh, then the complement system kick in. Uh, if we can pass this phase, then there are, there are second waves of rejection, uh, like mediated by the coagulation incompatibility endothelial cell activation. If we can pass this phase, then there are uh, uh, cell-mediated rejection, uh, including the innate cells like NK or macrophage, and uh, in the long-term, chronic rejection mediated by T-cell adaptive antibody and inflammatory reaction. So there are multiple folds. And we try to uh, look at the problem individually and identify the mismatching factors. Um, in PIC 2.0, we did... Uh, in the in the um, so we, we we have multiple versions of PIG 2.0 as it's a iterative process, but uh, it has about a dozen of modification, including taking out of the major antigen to mitigate the preformed antibody binding and insertion of human transgene uh, as the inhibitory factors to uh, inhibit the complement cascade, innate cell reaction, T cell reaction. Uh, we also humanize a few factors for coagulation, try to restore the compatibility of pig endothelial cell in the organ with the human coagulation system. I mean, hearing you describe this, Luhan, I mean, a lot of people listening to this know how complicated immunology is. You got immunology, you got hematology, you got, I mean, there, the innate immune system, the adaptive immune system, there are a lot of hurdles in the way here. Uh, and that's assuming that you've got, you know, good, efficient gene editing to begin with. Um, but you're saying that you uh, you worked through a lot of this this thicket of issues presumably with a lot of experts around the table, um, and can came down to about 12 or so uh, important factors in which you could do the edits to you know, make the, the organ more compatible. 
It's a very daunting problem. Look, we, we don't know yet whether we got all the answer. Um, and, and we have to follow the data. So right now we are pretty happy to see that once we have the organ and take out the pig saw, compare that with a human saw. And uh, sometimes we couldn't tell which one is human, which one is a pig. When we challenge them, with a different human immune attack, but that's only in vitro setting. So the golden standard for the field is the non-human primate as a surrogate and put the pig organ in. So uh, we are still at early stage. So I couldn't, I, I don't have the liberty to reveal too much. Um, and I, 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 there are two points I, I'd like to mention though. One is uh, we already achieved some long-term survival in the non-human primate, which really gives us the confidence that it's possible to achieve long-term xenograft survival uh, with human-compatible immunosuppressant. So, um, and the second one is it's not stable yet. So a lot of monkeys were euthanized at early stage because of the uh, rejection complication, infection complication, and coagulation complication. Uh, but if we, 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 we remind very positive, the long-term survival data show us it's possible. And our mission is to try to identify the uh, parameters that uh, differentiate different monkey recipient and try to produce consistent result. I see. Okay. Now, somewhere along the way here, you made the move from eGenesis, uh, based there in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Kendall Square, um, lots of amazing biotech people uh, working closely together there. You moved this over back to China, starting a company, Chihan Bio, with you as CEO. What was the, the plan? What's the strategy? Why'd you do that? So, um, so actually, shortly after we founded and started to build eGenesis, it became very clear that China had a, a lot of more experience with pig production than the U.S., partly because we, we consume half of the world pork. Um, so eGenesis board quickly decided that it would be a good idea to create a sister company in China, and Xi'an was founded in 2018. So initially, I split my time uh, between eGenesis in Cambridge and Xi'an in Hangzhou. Um, I, I fly every three weeks. You know, Luhan, I just have to laugh hearing you say this about China as a pig producer because like, I'm a, I'm a kid from the Wisconsin, the upper Midwest of the US, and I'll tell you, we have a lot of pigs there. <laughs> we grow a lot of pigs for, for slaughter. Exactly. So. Uh, yeah, so but the cloning part is kind of tricky. Um, and China could produce a pig through cloning with much lower cost, scale, and speed. And I that's see. important, especially for the early stage discovery. So you had a low cost opportunity here, um, so, some expertise in, in uh, farming, agriculture. Um, what about the, the scientific expertise and, and people that you're able to draw on there in China? You would be surprised. <laughs> Look, so I think um, for development, uh, I can see a huge distance between China and US. But for early stage research, um, 
I'm quite impressed about the talent, the working ethics, and innovation capability. So, um, like initially, I split my time between the U.S. and China so that I can see the data and operation on both sides. Um, and I, I have to say, it's a neck to neck. And right now, even I uh, stay in China uh, full time as a CEO of Qihan, we still have the ongoing collaboration uh, with Qihan and eGenesis to move this forward, try to leverage resources from uh, two continents and have the ongoing collaboration and cross-licensing agreement so that we can pull the IPN information together uh, to, to do this more effectively. So you, you say that the science itself is neck and neck between Kennel Square and what you see on the ground there in, in Hangzhou and, and Shanghai area? I can only say in Qihan. <laughs> Maybe Qihan is uh, one of a kind. Uh, so we attracted a lot of top talents uh, in early research and discovery. Um, and I, I found the innovation capability uh, is very strong here. And you have a relationship that's ongoing with eGenesis? Yeah, so Qihan and eGenesis have ongoing collaboration. Uh, we have a shared mission for xenotransplantation. Um, and uh, we have the cross-licensing and collaboration agreement so that we can divide and conquer uh, with, uh, with defined commercialization right. Now, so you have been basically operating this year in, um, in China uh, during the pandemic, uh, not traveling back and forth like you did in the beginning and getting Shihan set up. Um, do you, do you miss uh, Kendall Square, the, the intellectual energy, the vibrancy, or, or no? Of course I do. Look, <laughs> I, I, I truly miss my colleagues and uh, a lot of good conversation happen in the U.S. I think on the good side, uh, one is um, with the pandemic, nobody can travel anymore. So a lot of conference started to do that online. So we have the opportunity to participate in the conferences around the world without traveling. And that uh, definitely shortened the distance. <laughs> and, the, and the second part is, um, so at Qihan, we are uh, collaborating with people around the world and uh, lucky enough to be surrounded by the advisors who are the top experts in different domain from transplantation, immunology, stem cell biology, and regulation. And, um, and we have uh, like monthly meetings with advisors to debate our data and strategy. It's like we are holding a panel every time and they are arguing with each other so that we, we don't feel we are missed out, uh, even uh, we are physically in China. Is, is business kind of back to usual uh, where you are? I mean, everybody's able to travel freely within China and, and uh, um, you know, attend conferences with crowds of people, no problem? No problem. So uh, we, we follow the rule from CDC and closed the company down for two weeks this year. But things started to uh, uh, open up in March, actually. So currently, life in China is pretty back to normal. Um, and uh, 
there are conferences and uh, I even went to the marathon. <laughs> it's very crowded. Wow. Okay. So uh, it sounds like, uh, what would you say have been the biggest uh, advancements that you and your team have made this year uh, toward this goal of, you know, an immune compatible pig? So in September, Xihan team published uh, 3.0 as the first successful xenotransplantation prototype uh, in, in Nature Biomedical Engineering. And we show both successful immune compatibility and removal of porcine endogenous retroviruses. So to do that, we use a combination of CRISPR-Cas and transposon technology to produce pig uh, with uh, 44 sites of modification. And the engineered pig so far uh, have been very happy, healthy, and uh, existing normal fertility, which is important uh, for the stability of the herd. And, um, and uh, we show with some in vitro data and uh, we, we have the ongoing uh, work with non-human primate, uh, as I mentioned before, to see uh, how long the xenograft can survive in a, in a clinical translatable regimen in non-human primate. And if not, what's a fundamental problem, uh, outstanding problem we, we, we still need to address. Okay, so you've clearly still got a you know a, a lot of, of hurdles to get over here um, before you can um, you know declare victory there with the the pig that's uh, that's transplanted successfully into monkeys uh, before you can even begin to talk about your first clinical trial. Um, but I you know even at this early stage, I've noticed you've got um, uh, Steve Holtzman joined your board of directors. He's a former guest on this podcast. Uh, you know, a prominent guy in industry thinks a lot about the ethics uh, of transgenic animals. Um, what would what would you say is an important thing or two that you've learned from Steve, or that you're continuing to talk to Steve about in terms of managing uh, the ethical issues around? Um, using animals for this purpose? Uh, it was an interesting question. So um, as you know, or may not know, that the first ever company, Steve Funt, was a xenotransplantation company. So that's how we met uh, and got excited of working with each other. And, um, and uh, Steve is very passionate and very experienced in the business world. And he's also a very uh, savvy uh writer and thinker in the ethics part of uh, many biological advancement. For xenotransplantation, um, there are multiple uh, ethic issues we have to consider. Uh, one, religion issues. Second, the animal welfare. Uh, and I, I think the most uh, important issue is the risk benefit to the patient and to the society. Uh, the reason why xenotransplantation was shut down in the early 90s was not because it didn't work, it, part of the business reason, but was because of the concern of uh, viral transmission to, to the human being and the society. So that for eugenesis, the first thing we did was to remove the retroviruses so that it's less a concern as a public health issue. Um, and to solve the organ immune compatibility issue is trying to see uh, whether it could be safe in the patient without triggering 
the rejection. So um, those are the part we are continue to think and debate while we are making advance, advancement in our science. Yeah, some people are probably, um, you know, they recoil at it or, or you know, uh, uh, wonder what, what's going on here. Um, others are, are not going to be troubled at all. Um, so you have to communicate to different audiences, I suppose. Um, and this will change as these, I'm sure Steve could go on about this, attitudes change toward these issues over time. Um, but I mean, last thing I want to ask you, Luhan, though, is, I mean, as you look out at the future, um, 10 or 20 years down the road, what do you what do you hope to accomplish here? Like at Xihan Bio, we aspire to make soul and organ therapy universally to the patient who are in need. So our long-term mission is to create organ uh, to the patient, but using the platform we have, namely the multiplexable gene editing and immune privilege. So an organ platform, we are also trying to modify the human stem cell to make it immune compatible, then uh, differentiate into large amount of, um, of uh, effective cell as uh, off-the-shelf cell therapy. So we, 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 we want to, uh, in the near term, uh, transform cell therapy to a truly off-the-shelf product rather than a procedure in the, in the long term to accomplish our mission of developing xenogenic organs. There sure are a lot of things that CRISPR-Cas can do. Um, those rank high on the list. <laughs> Last thing, Luhan, do you think you're there in China for the long term or do you think you might ever come back to the United States? So Luke, the way I see myself is, um, how to say, the, the strange generation that we identify ourselves uh, not based on the uh, nationality or uh, ethnic group, but more as an international scientist and citizen. So uh, I am pretty excited to see that uh, vaccine is coming out and hope the world can get back to normal soon so that I, I don't know where is my home, but um, I think well, for people doing biotech, doing science, um, our shared enemy is COVID, cancer, organ shortage. And I'm sure uh, I'll be traveling around the world once we could travel uh, with, with vaccine to come. Well, maybe I'll see you at one of these conferences uh, when, when I start traveling again, too. Luhan Yang, thank you so much for joining me today on The Long Run. Yeah, thank you so much, Luke. Thanks for listening to The Long Run, a production of Timberman Report. Pedro Rosado of Headstepper Media was the sound editor. Music is from D.A. Wallach. See you next episode.